0: Well, good morning, church. Uh, I hope you all had a great sleep because you gained your hour back. Amen. <laughs> the hour that we lost in March, I think we've gained it back. So uh, I hope we all had a great sleep. Amen. All right, today we are continuing our series on the book of John, The Lordship of Jesus Christ, Volume 3. And today is our 59th installment. Uh, we are rolling. Amen. Let's start off with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning as we come before your Holy Word. We pray that your Word will minister to your people in simplicity and clarity of speech, yet in the fullness and in the power of your Spirit. I thank you that I will speak under inspiration, I will speak under instruction, and I will speak by the guidance of your Spirit. I thank you that you will think through my thoughts, O oh Lord, and you will give me the right words to articulate your Word as you have given it to me to your people this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's look at the remaining verses of chapter 12, which we have been on for some time now. So go with me to John chapter 12. And I want to start off by reading verses 37 to 41. And I read. I'm sorry, let me put the slides up. So John chapter 12. Verse 37 to 41. And I I, I read. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him, that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our reports? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, Verse 40, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Amen. Based on our reading this morning, I'm speaking under the theme, the image of the Father. So from what we've just read, uh, the audience didn't believe in Jesus. Because he was too ordinary a man. That was the whole problem. I mean, if we follow the series um, and the sequence of events that we've been going through throughout the book of John, you realize that they did not really have a problem with the works of Jesus or the words of Jesus. It was just how God chose to manifest himself in the man, that was the problem. He was too ordinary a man, like I said. There was nothing striking or anything exceptional about the personhood of Jesus. Uh, they had a preconceived idea of who a king, a messiah, or a Christ should be. I hope we all know by now that Christ is not Jesus' name. It's, it's an adjective that qualifies Jesus. So they, they had an idea of who a Christ is. You know, so in, in Israel time, a Christ could be a priest because he's anointed. You know, the word Christ just means anointed one. So when we say Jesus Christ, it, just, it simply means Jesus, the anointed one. So they had an idea of who a Christ should be like. A Christ is a prophet because he was anointed to, to, to stand in his office. A Christ could be a king or a Christ could be a priest, you know, so they had an idea, a form of who this Christ should be. They, they, also, they also had a preconceived idea of who a king or a messiah is supposed to be. Normally, they, they, they come from a good tribe. Um, um, what, what do you even call it? Oh, this word just jumped out of my, my mind. Um, they come from a prominent background most most kings at that time come from a prominent background, and they also come from a lineage of kings you know so most kings are are from the royal family. they have royal blood in them. they are not commoners per se so they they had an idea of who a king should be. They had an idea of who a messiah should be, a messiah you know they look at someone like Moses, they considered him a messiah, that was during Jewish folklore. They, they considered people like that. So when Jesus came, he shattered the expectations of all these people. And when you read Isaiah chapter 53, it talks about who Jesus was. You know, he was a man with, with nothing really spectacular to behold. He was young. He was young. He had no money. And he was seen as some sort of like a revolutionary or a renegade, however people might even want to classify him. Uh, Because this was a man who was breaking convention and and defying all the rules. And and he had become the champion of the people rather than becoming a champion of the institutes. So it it was a problem right there. And right there, one of the things I really learned is that if you really want to be blessed in in this walk of faith with God, uh, it, it will do you a lot of good if you let go of biases. And preconceived ideas. Because sometimes the picture that we may have, God may have something completely different, which may shatter your expectation. Amen. I I think of a typical example like Naaman. Do you know that Naaman nearly lost his miracle? Because he had a preconceived idea of how the prophet should minister to him. And the Bible lets us even know that the prophet didn't even come out of his room. He just sent his servant, go and tell that man to go and dump himself in the river Jordan and he will be healed. And Naaman had every right to get angry. Do you know why? Because the river Jordan was a dirty river. And it was a small river. And that's why he was huffing and puffing that there are better rivers. I could have gone to Abana and Fapa. Because those were beautiful rivers. Those were nice rivers. But thank God for a servant who was with Naaman's that Master, if this man had told you to do something greater, would you have not done it? Just do this little instruction he has told you to do. And the Bible lets us know that when Naaman decided to let go of his biases and his preconceived ideas of how he should be healed, he received a miracle. He dumped himself in the river Jordan seven times, according to the prophet's directives. The Bible lets us know that when he came out the seventh time, his skin was like that of a baby skin. I don't know how old was Naaman. I don't know whether he was in his 30s or in his 40s or in his 50s. But I hope you know there's a difference between an adult skin and a baby skin. Wow, the Bible says when he came out, he had a skin as new as a baby's skin. So that's what God can do. So sometimes we have to learn how to let go of preconceived ideas and biases. It may at times block us from receiving from God, or we might even miss the miraculous moments that God has for us. And that's what happened to uh, this Jewish audience. Here was God clothed in man, but his personhood was not attractive enough. There was nothing striking, nothing that would let you even look at him twice. And he just passed them by. What a pity. And then John then went ahead to go and quote uh, Isaiah chapter 6 verse 10. And when John quoted that scripture, he was talking about Israel who were walking in unbelief. And why was Israel walking in unbelief? It was as a result of God's judgment upon those who had refused to seek and turn truly to him. You know, during the time of Isaiah, and when you read Isaiah chapter 6, we will go there in a minute, they were perpetually disobedient and stubborn. And because of that, God had just given them over to a spirit of unbelief and a condition called spiritual blindness. Now, let's read Isaiah 6 verse 8 to 11. Then we can gain concept of why John decided to quote that in his writing of the Jewish audience. John, uh, Isaiah chapter 6, I'm sorry. Isaiah chapter 6, not John. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8 to 11, and I read. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Now, this was a time when Isaiah um, um, had experienced, you know, Isaiah had had, should I even use the word epiphany? He had had some sort of manifestation of God, you know, and he saw God's beauty, God's holiness, God's pristine heights, and all this happened after the death of King Uzziah. And the Bible says that when God saw Isaiah, he purified him and he gave him a commission on what he was supposed to do. And look at what God told Isaiah to do. And after, after Isaiah had been purified by the Lord, the Bible says that the angel appeared and took a uh, coals of fire with a tongue and touched Isaiah's tongue. And Isaiah was purified. And then he gave him a message. At first, I, Isaiah said, the Lord, I'm willing, send me. You've purified me. I've become a vessel, send me. And then the Lord said, I'm going to give you a word to give to the people. Now... The Israelites under the reign of King Uzziah were very disobedient and were very stubborn. And part of the reason was because of the leadership of Uzziah. So now, God is going to send Isaiah to tell this rebellious and perpetually stubborn people a message. And look at the message that God had for Isaiah, for the Israelites. Go and tell these people, keep on hearing, but do not understand Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the hearts of these people dull, and their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? So now, they have a spiritual condition called spiritual blindness. They will hear, they will not understand. They will see, but they will not perceive. Uh, Their hearts will be dull and their ears will be heavy when it comes to the oracles and the mysteries of God. And now Isaiah is wondering, Lord, how long will this condition be permanent? How long will this be prevalent in the lives of the Israelites? And God gave an answer. Until all the cities are laid waste and without inhabitants, the houses are without a man and the land is utterly desolate. You understand? So Israel was under god's judgment because they perpetually disobeyed god and god did that because israel knew god's ways at this time of writing they knew god's ways but they intentionally and stubbornly decided to flout every rule will not acknowledge god and will go their ways and there were seven idols at that time at that time israel had become an apostate state And the the punishment for them was that they were going to be spiritually blind or they will be spiritually dull. And when they are dull, it means they will become impervious and unperceptive to the things of God. So in light of this principle, John was also using this to describe the audience of Jesus' day, that they suffered from spiritual blindness. That's why they couldn't believe God. Who came in the flesh as Jesus. And and part of the reason why they have all these biases and preconceived ideas is because they were spiritually blind. One sure sign of someone who is spiritually blind is one who has a bias and a preconceived idea of how God should manifest, of how God should do certain things. You are spiritually blind. Even sometimes there are certain people who can't receive from certain people because they have certain biases and certain preconceived ideas. Do you know one of the bias and one of the preconceived ideas? Why should a woman preach? And you will cut yourself off every manifestation, every power of God, just because it's a woman. So that's what I'm saying. Every bias and every preconceived idea has to drop. So these people, they miss out on the visitation and the manifestation of God in the flesh because of their bias. Amen. Now, the people of Jesus' day, you also have to understand something. They were capable of belief, but they chose unbelief. What makes me say that? Because of verse 42. So when John quotes this scripture, John is not saying this is a universal human problem. John is saying people walk in unbelief, people are spiritually blind because it's a choice. Why do I say that? Read verse 42 with me. And I just want to read the first few sentences. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. So how come that in verse 37, there were just some few people who did not believe, but in verse 42, there were many also that believed. It's a choice here. So people believing or disbelieving in Jesus, it's a choice. It's not against human will. You see, God doesn't interact with human will. He just leaves you to choose. And one thing that we have to understand is that man has a choice to believe, or walk in unbelief when the truth of God's word has been preached to him with signs following and everything pointing to the existence of God. It's a choice. You either choose to believe or walk in unbelief. That is not something that you can't help. Truly, you can't really help it. Amen. And that's why in the camp meeting, if you do remember, I said something. God is not offended if you subject him to testing. God is not offended if you want to prove that he is God. He will want you to go through every exhaustive means to prove whether he exists or not. God is not offended if you want to subject his word through much scrutiny and much investigation to prove whether his book is authentic or not. God is not offended by that. God is not offended if you want to prove through much scrutiny, much investigation, much analysis to find out whether Jesus is the Son of God. He's not offended by any of these things. What God is offended is that when after you have done the scrutiny, don't add to the word and don't take out of the word. Revelation chapter 22. That's what God will be offended at. What God will be offended at is to blaspheme the name of him. But God is not offended if you will want to search, if you will want to go on a quest to find out whether he is real or he is an apparition. Now let's continue our reading in the last eight verses and we wrap up John chapter 12. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praises of men more than the praise of God. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words, Has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, and what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father told me, so I speak. So in verses 42 to 43, you see the power of the love of the world. We just talked about the audience of Jesus' day who struggled to believe in him. That was in verse 37. Now, in our opening passage we just read, which starts from verse 42, we realized that many of the rulers believed in him, but they could not confess Jesus as Lord. There are some who claim belief, but they won't confess him. And what does it mean to confess Jesus? It it just doesn't stop at oratory expression. Confession also means that it has to affect your lifestyle. So when you receive Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, you believe in your heart and when you confess with your mouth, it just doesn't stop at confession. The confession means that I am now going to live this life as one who belongs to you. So the rulers had a hard conviction. They believed in Jesus as Lord, but they were not prepared to correspond their belief with confessing him with their mouth, which will in turn affect how they will live. That is lifestyle. And sometimes, in in our current context, there are people who claim they believe God, but they will never confess him with their mouth and his lifestyle. Hence, they will be taught Christians. If you at last week's Bible study, Pastor Jessica just gave us the origin of the word Christian. It was a sarcastic tone. People will mock at you that, oh, you are a little Christ. So look look at them. The, Jesus has gone and they are trying to assume his place, trying to talk like him, trying to act like him, trying to behave like him and trying to do his works. The Christians. And then now it's become a term. And sometimes we don't want to pay that price. That we will assume Christ's character and bear his fruits, and walk in the demonstration of his power. There is a price for that. Can I say something? In the kingdom of God, there are no underground spies. There are no covert operation agents. You You have to be on the front line, a soldier for Christ. That's it. You can't say that you believe in Jesus Christ, and you are doing it in stealth. You have to openly declare Jesus as Lord with your life, with your confession. Because the Bible says that when we confess him before men, at the day of reckoning, he will also confess us before his father. But when we deny him in front of men, on the day of judgment, he will also deny us in front of our father. These rulers, they looked at what they had to lose. So they will not confess him. And there are four Ps there that you can see that really hindered their confession. They were concerned about prestige because they were concerned about their standing and their stature in society. You know, rulers... Were very, it, we're very prestigious. And then how will it feel to follow a 33-year-old, uneducated, unskilled, untrained man, someone who we are not even sure of his father? We don't even know where he's going. How, why should I confess such a man? Because for me to be a ruler and to be part of the hierarchical structure of the synagogue, I would have had to go through some sort of education. Why would I want to put all this at risk by confessing Jesus? Just believing him is enough. Prestige. And sometimes in the kingdom of God, people count prestige too much than the salvation of their soul. And on the day of reckoning, you will find out that your salvation of your soul is more important than your standing in society. The second thing was position. They were concerned about their place in the synagogue. You see, these people, they took a calculated risk. That What are the chances that if I confess Jesus, I will still hold my place in the synagogue? They were more concerned about that, so they didn't confess Jesus. And sometimes there are certain people who will never want to respond to the invitation of Christ, inviting them because he died for their sins, because they think of position. And may I say this, sometimes you will lose the position, because that's what it will cost But these people, they were not prepared to pay that price. The third thing that you see of the rulers is power. Power is addictive. They were scared of losing power. Because once they throw you out of the synagogue, you've lost influence. You will just be a ruler by name but not by action. They were afraid of losing influence. That bothered them. It was nice to be a ruler and have some power. It hindered them from confessing. Even though they said, we believe in him all right, but it's not just enough to believe. You have to follow the belief with confession of your mouth, which will now affect how you will live for him. Power. Power. And the fourth thing is praise, self-esteem. The Bible says that they could not confess Jesus because they loved the praises of men. Look, if you want to be effective for God, don't love praises too much. When you're a pastor, you have to be you have to be very careful of PPC. Do you know what's PPC? Post preaching comments. <laughs> It can either depress you or impress you. You have to die out of that. I'm telling you. I, I like Kenneth Higgins' word. When I read this, when I read this scripture, I, I truly remembered Kenneth Higgin. He said, When you are a servant of God, you have to, you have to develop essential to the praises of men. Otherwise, it could affect, it could affect your walk with God. It will affect how far you go. It will affect how many miles you will chalk in the realm of the Spirit. This fourth thing, praise. They loved the praise of men. And because of that, it hindered their confession of Jesus. Even though they believed with their hearts, they were not prepared to take the next step, which was confession. Christianity doesn't stop at a belief level. It is only a starting point to confession, which means you are sold out to live for him. It was too much a price for the rulers to pay. Now, Jesus in such an atmosphere cried out that if we believe in him, we believe in the Father. Not just that. He also said that if we seek him, that is Christ. We have also seen the Father. Ladies and gentlemen, it's very important to note who our Savior is. He was not like the prophets or the patriarchs. He wasn't just a man sent by God. You know, when you read the opening chapter of John, the Bible says that there was a man sent by God whose name was John. You see, Jesus is more than John. He wasn't just a man sent by God. He's, not, he's more than a friend of God. You know, one of the people who had the title friend of God was Abraham. Jesus was more than that. Jesus was more than a witness of God or a witness for God. When you read the prophetic books, that's the 17 prophetic books from Isaiah to Malachi. They were all witnesses of God, and Jesus was more than that. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the second person of the Godhead who shares in the attributes of God. You know, God has certain attributes that are his. He is holy. He is a judge. He is righteous. He is omnipresent. He is omnipotent. When we say omnipresent, that means he's all-present, omnipotent, he's all-powerful, omniscient, he's all-knowing. These are attributes of God, exclusive attributes of God. Jesus also shares in these attributes. That's what makes him God. That's why we say he is one with God in essence. That's what makes Jesus God. See, Jesus didn't have a God complex. Jesus is God. You know, there are some humans who can have a God complex. When they have too much power and when they believe that whatever they say is right and it's not subject to the scrutiny of the masses, you have a god complex jesus didn't have a god complex he's actually god that's one thing we have to know christ then said that he is the light into the world and if we believe in him we will not walk in darkness ladies and gentlemen we serve a living god who came in the form of a human called christ who came to dispel light into this world, that if we believe in him, we will never walk in darkness again. Darkness is not our portion because Christ was manifested as the light of God. And the thing I like about it is that when he came as the light into this world and when we contacted him, we too, we became the light of the world. And that's why the Bible designates us with Two important titles. We are the salt sort of this earth and we are the light of the world. And why are we the light of the world? Not because of our light, but it's because of the contact. I remember during the COVID, there was something called COVID tracing. Contact tracing, I'm sorry. We have contact tracing with the light of the world. That's why we are the light of the world. We are not, we are not the light of the world because we have some lights. We are the light of the world because we've had contact tracing with Christ. And the Bible lets us know that when we believe in him, we will not walk in darkness. And Jesus went on to say that if anyone hears his words and believe in him, he is free of judgment. But the one that hears his word and doesn't believe in him, his word will judge him in the last day. And Jesus said something in verses 47 to 48, that I did not come to judge the world, but I came to save the world. Now, what does that mean? Jesus was talking about that particular instance when he was there. In his 33 years of existence on earth, Jesus said that I came as a savior, not as a judge. I didn't come to judge. I came to save the world. I came to save the world by redeeming humans from their sin. By laying down my life, I have come to save the world. Jesus was talking about when he was alive, when he was in existence in human form. But notice, when Jesus comes back again, he's going to judge. Next year, God willing, we will do the book of Revelation And we'll learn more about such things. And I look forward to that. Christ will come to judge. Presently, we haven't come to the end of this age. He's opened his arms, his outstretched arms that I came to save. But a time will come when the end of the world occurs, he will judge the world. So in John chapter 12, verses 47 to 48. Jesus implied, I am a savior. I'm also a judge. So thank God for Jesus who came to save. But a time will come. The savior that we are presenting to the world, a time will come he also has to be presented as a judge. And he will judge humans for their choices. Amen. The humility of Jesus is seen here, which I admire, because he closes out by saying, the authority that I have, of which I'm able to speak the words that I'm speaking, is from my Father. So Jesus is saying, in, in essence, that me and my Father, we are one. We are one in essence. We share in the same attributes. I am God, the second person of the Trinity. Yes, even though I came in the form of man, I thought it's not robbery to be equal with God. I am God. And that's why Jesus came to represent himself to the audience of his day, which also included the rulers and the Pharisees, that if you see me, If you believe in me, you believe in God the Father. So Jesus, right here in this passage, was trying to get the message to them that I am the image of the Father. And that is the Hebrew Imago Dei, which means I've been created in the image of God. That when you see me healing, that is God the Father healing. When you see me speaking the words of life. That is God the Father speaking the words of life. When you see me laugh on little children, I am expressing to you God the Father, how he deals with children. When you see me talking with strangers, when you see me liberating people out of bondages and out of heavy burdens, you have just seen God the Father because I came in the image of the Father. Imago Dei. The mirror, the exact copy. And that's why when you read Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, the Bible says, Jesus, who is the express image of the Father who came in the brightness of his glory? Express image. That means it's, it's more than a replica. It's the same. And that's the one we serve. So Jesus didn't just come after the manner of John he didn't just come after the manner of the prophets. He didn't just come after the manner of, of John the Baptist. He's more than that. He's far higher and greater than that. Jesus is the Son of God. And he is the image of God the Father. That's why when we want to contact God, we contact Jesus. And it's through Jesus we have contacted God the Father. And thank God for Jesus the Son who came to make sure that we will have a view and understanding of who God the Father truly is. But you will never be able to understand God the Father until you appreciate and acknowledge Jesus. Jesus as the Son of God. If you acknowledge Jesus as a prophet and as just a good man, you will you will always see God the Father in the mystery. But once you acknowledge him as the Son of God, the mystery and everything that surrounds God the Father is broken. And now you begin to see the heart of God the Father truly in your worship experience. So I end on this message saying that Jesus and the Father are one. And thank God for Jesus because it's through His image that we are all able to have a better understanding of God the Father. And as we continue on this journey in this walk of faith, we will continue to understand God the Father in a greater way and we will, we will not be shattered in mystery because of jesus he is the password he is the mirror through which we see god the father so if you want to know god the father desire to know jesus and as you know jesus you will know god the father let's pray father we thank you for your word that we have received this morning we bless your holy name Father, we thank you that indeed we will know you. That's our prayer. But above all, help us to have a relationship with the Son, through which we will know who you truly are to us. In Jesus' name, amen.